Hey, it's Zeking Plum. Imagine living in a world at a time when we are unable to create fire. Yet we know it exists because when lightning strikes, sometimes we see it come into existence. Someone or many individuals learn how to create it and they pass this on. In time, we have near mastery of it. The numbers range, but the first use of fire or creation of fire approximately happened 1.7 to 0.2 million years ago, but it didn't come into daily use until about uh, 600 or 300,000 years ago, depending on who you ask. Okay, so in all that time, we witness lightning, the power of electricity, but it doesn't come into existence, or at least under our control, until only a few hundred years ago. Now we have such understanding and power that we can carry it in our pockets. In thinking about these examples, I began to wonder, is there something else yet that we have to master, figure out? And what would it be? In the cases of fire and electricity, we could see what we wanted to create. We had evidence, something to work towards, to study. But I began wondering, what is the next thing? And what if we can't see it? As in, we haven't seen evidence that this even exists yet. In fact, at this point, we don't even believe it's possible. As an example, anti-gravity. So just for some clarification, it's not a lack of weight under gravity or even a counterforce to gravity. It's being free from the force of gravity. But as we understand Albert Einstein's theory of general relativity, it's not possible. Because gravity isn't a force. It's a geometric property of space and time. But here's the thing. Einstein's theory, it was published in 1915 and it replaced Newton's, which was published in 1687. That change in thinking came in 228 years, and in some ways, that's a long time, and in other ways, that's not long at all. If we look back 1.7 million years ago to the first use of fire, to 600,000 years ago, or 300,000 years ago, to the more daily use of it, to the point when we had lighters available to carry in our pockets, that is, that is kind of mind-blowing when you think about it that it took as long as it did, and yet that we can carry fire in our pockets. When we consider the timeline of electricity, it doesn't even really compare. So where could anti-gravity fall in a similar timeline, more like fire or electricity? If the theory of gravity itself changed over a few hundred years, could it not change again when we learn more? I mean, the theory of general relativity is fairly young, and every single day, it seems, we're learning more and more about our universe. In understanding more about it, we learn more about Earth. And in learning more about gravity, then maybe we can learn about the possibility of anti-gravity, even if that definition of anti-gravity changes. Can you imagine? Just think of the possibilities. Those sapiens, yeah, I heard 
so the context where I heard about that book was, um, it was usually in a really presented in a pretty positive light. And that's because that's when it, I heard about it when the author was going around on this little podcast tour and promoting the book. And um, the conversations were all pretty, you know, those are kind of like softball interviews and with people who hadn't necessarily read the book. And it was just like he was given a kind of a platform to just say what he was saying, which can be interesting. But, you know, so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that uh, I know I don't have the bandwidth for reading it right now. So thank you. I'm glad that you're checking it out. <laughs> I'm looking forward to hear what you got to say about it. Hey, Jared, wouldn't it be nice when they did those book tours on podcasts or TV, radio, whatever, that they also had a counter perspective offering something slightly different than the rosier, rosier picture they would like us to, to hear? I know that's counterproductive to sales and marketing and all of that, but... Every time I look up a book review online, I like to look at some of the negative reviews as well and try to figure out if it's just a, an offshoot or whether there's something to it. When I was in the store, I was trying to remember where I had first come across the book. And I can't remember exactly where I may have heard of it first, but I do remember that Patrick of the Great Everything mentioned it on one of his book lists that he sometimes offers. And in his description of the book, I remember being intrigued. But here's what I found funny, is that once I got the book home and paid more attention to the author's name, Yuval, Yuval Noah Harari, it, it brought back this vague memory of Patrick quoting Harari about something. And I remember calling in, in my mind thinking, this dude, Harari, is short-sighted, and he doesn't see or he's not thinking about X, Y, or Z, and telling Patrick that. But sometimes I, sometimes I wonder, who do, who do I think I am? I didn't know who Harari was at the time. And for all I know, maybe Patrick was referring to another Harari? I don't know. Anyway, I will do my best to share bits and pieces. But uh, for any who have been around for a period of time, you'll know I jump from book to book and you never know what you'll get. So... I may be with Sapiens for a bit, and I may jump back to Deviate and, and then move on to another, and I have too many books on the go right now as it is. It sort of depends on what's piquing my interest or getting the uh, neurons, you know, titillated, titillated at the moment. What I'm getting at is it may be a bit of a longish journey, but I'm happy to read and share as I go. Thanks for calling in, Jared. Hey, I was just listening to your piece there on fire and electricity and what have you. Uh, and in particular, um, where you mentioned the apparent length of time it took for, let's say, fire, for us to manipulate fire in such a way that we can carry it in our pockets. And how quickly we've managed to uh, convert our understanding of electricity. I think... On a whole, we know very little. However, uh, my interpretation of how our growth and understanding of our environment has developed is that, well, it's it's exponential, isn't it? When we look back, it appears to be slow and take a long time, but then suddenly, boom, 
it like it hits that point on the curve where it just seems to be going straight up and I think that will continue you know until until it so what I was trying to say before I was most rudely interrupted by the timeout was um, that it will remain exponential until it expires because I think with all things they begin they tra they transfer over a short period over a long period of time grow exponentially then expire uh, and then maybe develop into something else but uh, it's the nature of all things like 80-20 if you haven't read um, what's his name I have the book here it's not uh, well it is it is about these things um, Perry Marshall 80-20 sales and marketing it's about this stuff and uh, I think that's relevant but I do think the human race is due to expire I do uh, maybe not in my lifetime but soon I really should be more efficient with my 60 seconds number three and I'll leave it at this uh, you might say what's the relevance of uh, the ex expiration of the human race got to do with knowledge and the growth of knowledge and stuff well well I suppose it, it's very very strongly connected but um, I think that which develops knowledge uh, can only develop knowledge on a particular thing in a particular manifestation of itself for a given period of time and then it must um, disappear and then come back as something else it's the fractal, fractal nature of existence um, the universe is a fractal or rather not a fractal but it, it, it fractals you know what I mean whatever it is anyway just my thoughts on it have a good day Happy Friday to you, Larry. I think you made some good points. I definitely agree that learning and knowledge and understanding is exponential. But if I think of it as a graph and that line moving steeply upward, if I zoom out and look at it that way, it's a smooth line. But if I zoom in, not so much. I mean, it all sort of depends on how far we zoom in, right? But I think that there's it's not a straight line with respect to learning because we're always taking a few steps forward, maybe a few steps back or even to the side before we realize that maybe what we had learned is not exactly correct. So sort of in the same vein, I kind of like to leave the door open with respect to when humanity might expire. As in, I don't necessarily think it's determined or absolutely going to happen that that line of knowledge and understanding is going to go steeply straight up and then expiration will happen. It could be that it goes up and something else happens along the way, right? Maybe there's a plateau or the line flattens out just a little bit before climbing again. But all of these different points, we don't know how long that plateau might last or that slight change in angle might last before climbing again. And expiration of the hum human race could happen at any point. I was reading more of the book Sapiens this morning and Harari was talking about the different species of, of human that existed at one time and now we only have one. Why that happened, they're not exactly sure. Although evolution is a long process and the exponential learning curve is a bit more steep and obviously shorter, 
Do you think it's possible that in our journey to learn more information, we could do something, uh, discover something, screw something up in such a way that it delays our further gaining of knowledge and understanding? And along that path of of delay, somehow or another, some of our past knowledge is also lost. So we sort of exist in this period of, for lack of a better word, limbo or on that plateau that I was describing before, long enough that uh, evolution can continue to move forward, whether naturally or artificially. Sorry, my brain is rushing in different directions, and I can't remember if I finished or formulated that question in full. Another question or thought I had was this expiration could be different in the way that we typically think of it. Like instead of humanity being entirely wiped out, maybe Homo sapiens no longer existing and a new form of human coming into existence. Again, it all depends on how how much time is allotted and whether it's natural or artificial advancement in that evolutional evolutionary process. <laughs> um, yeah. And I guess that sort of plays into your idea of fractals becoming something different. I guess it's partly how we define extinction, right? Thanks for bringing up these ideas. It made me think about things a little differently than I had been and reminded me of things I wasn't thinking about um, and gave me some other things to think about as well. So uh, thank you. And thank you for the book recommendation as well. I haven't read it. Seeking Plum. Oh my God, I love that idea about electricity and lightning and then anti-gravity. My brain always does that all the time because uh, for years um, I was a historical interpreter and I would just say to people, you know, it, they would say, well, isn't it so strange for those people to, they did this and this, and I'm like, they didn't know it was strange. That's what they did, you know? So uh, for somebody in the 1800s or the 1750s, to even see what I'm doing today, even in my short lifetime, I can't believe how different phones are. And I saw CDs and yeah, so one day we might be flying and then they'll be like, yeah, can you imagine they used to not be able to fly? And they're like, why? Well, they didn't know how to master gravity yet. They had no idea. Yeah, man, good stuff. I like it. Thanks, Seekin Plum. I love your station. All right. Talk to you soon. Peace. All right, Patrick. <laughs> just hearing you talking about telling you know future generations about not having yet mastered anti-gravity way back when <laughs> and it made me laugh but it's funny because we do it today you know talking about how we didn't once have cell phones and we used to use tape decks or vinyl you know I remember <laughs> this sounds so silly <laughs> I sound like what, what I used to talk about my parents sounding like, but I remember when the technology of the Star Trek Next Generation was like futuristic and stuff we didn't have yet, you know, but now we have automatically opening doors and we carry, you know, iPads and cell phones and I mean, on and on. I mean, we even have, you know, those new, um, I can't remember what they're called, but the, 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 pod things that go in your ear and they can translate between languages. Anyway, all of that said, Patrick, you have me extremely curious to hear more about your role as a historical interpreter. 
The only frame of reference I have for something like that is, uh, I have a family member and she works uh, in a museum and they dress in attire from, you know, centuries past and they cook uh, meals of that time in the way that they did. They have cobblers and blacksmiths and everything else. But basically, it's a place for people to come and learn about the past and to actually physically walk through such an environment and to interact with uh, people who speak like they did and who do these activities. So in my limited understanding, I might call somebody who does that a historical interpreter, but is that what you were doing or were you doing something different? I have so many questions. Maybe, maybe you can... Uh, interpret more of history and tell us tell us things that we don't understand now it's so funny how at one point in your life you can be terrible with respect to the topic of history and now in my life i see such a vital importance for it and making sure that we remember that we record and that we study it because it not only affects today it affects our future I look forward to the uh, little, the uh, occasional sprinklings in of sapiens. I'm in the conversation about, I guess, the extinction or there being something else. I get a, get a feel that maybe you are thinking about like something transhuman, maybe. Uh, I guess. Um, I do know that we struggle. I, I think, as in general, people struggle to, like be able to fathom exponentials like that sense of proportion is not something that in general humans are good at and maybe that'll be the um that'll be the switch that'll be the thing that the machines uh that we work with are better at so that we can see that thing that's out there that we don't know that's out there yet that might be the next thing Jared, you touched on several things that I hadn't considered or thought about. I mean, first, highlighting the, the fact that we have difficulty wrapping our heads around uh, exponentials. That is so true. Under different topics, I've even been thinking about that myself and the fact that I can't wrap my head around certain, certain issues because I can't grasp at the numbers of people because there's just so many involved in whatever it is. Or if we're talking about stars or galaxies, you know, light years, all of that. As for the next change in humanity, you know, transhumanism completely skipped my mind. I was thinking more along the lines of DNA manipulation, but right now we are dipping into both of those. I can't remember if it was on my station or when I was having a conversation on another station a few months ago, but I do remember talking about Elon Musk's uh, neural lace that he's developing. It's a direct cortical interface to uh, use with computers, and I think it would do what you're describing, like help us better understand exponentials, or at least it would facilitate that understanding. 
I don't know the ins and outs of how it works and all that's involved, so maybe there's another step yet there that's necessary before we could come to a place where we better understand exponentials. But regardless, I get what you're saying. I'm sort of rambling about this cool Elon Musk thing. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I think there's going to be maybe, hopefully, a time when we better understand some of those things. And then in doing so, better understand what's to come. Mm. But that might delve into some other topics like metaphysics and spirituality. Yeah, I think that whether it is uh, DNA manipulation or it is a, a step in some particular direction with transhumanism, we are going to, we have the potential to become something different than what we are now. And when that happens or begins to happen, will there then be new classifications? Will we describe these people as being a different species of human? I mean, I guess in some ways I've already answered my own question because we're talking about this as being transhuman uh, um, items and procedures and even a path to take. I think that we hope to keep certain boundaries for these things, but, I, but sometimes it's a slippery slope, right? And over time, we don't know where those things are going to go or where they're going to take us. And so maybe hundreds of years, hundreds of years from now, we will be in a different mindset about some of these things, uh, maybe in, and even more so in thousands of years. Anyway, some, some great points there, Jared, and, and again, you people are fabulous. You give me more things to think about. I thank you ever so much. Seeking Plum, this is Z over at Integrity Radio. And thank you for that segment. That was just wonderful. Thank you very much. Yes, we know so little about gravity. And, uh, and it's fascinating, these concepts of dark matter, dark energy, and anti-matter, anti-gravity. Wow. It reminds me of Neil deGrasse's talk where he explains the universe coming in twos and so the multiverse may come in twos as well. <laughs> Thanks again. Keep being awesome. This is fun. So many different perspectives with different insights, but different kinds of knowledge. Uh, Z, thanks for your call. I've only recently been dipping my toe into learning about uh, antimatter and dark matter and all of that, so I, I don't know much about it, but I'm still learning about it. Even the idea that the multiverse could be a possibility was new to me. In fact, I read something about that recently. I think I covered it in an episode previously uh, when I was... Maybe when I was reading about The Accidental Universe by uh, Alan Lightman, I could be wrong. I can't remember which book, and I have no clue which episode it was in, but I do remember reading about it. But I had not heard about this, um, this piece you're talking about with Neil deGrasse Tyson that there might be two multiverses, because this, this boggles my mind. I mean, a multiverse implies, well, means many, and two? I, why would we need more than one? And what is, what is leading us to believe that there is more than one multiverse if the idea that a multiverse in itself is somewhat new? 
do, do you know what I mean? Like to consider that there's one and now there's another and they're both multis. I have so many questions. Could you, or do you remember the name of this uh, special or program that you saw uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson talk about this? Because I would love to uh, watch it or hear it, uh, whatever it was that he was talking about it on. Thanks for your call. Hey, Seeking Plum, it's Ronnie from Working Like a Woman. I love your segment on fire and electricity and you know, the big breakthrough that I am waiting for is teleportation. I think that this would change our world immensely. Can you imagine not only being able to travel from one point to another almost instantly, but imagine all the pollution and... Uh, you know, the, the, the effects on global warming, everything that would disappear, all the positive effects, besides just the convenience of being able to teleport somewhere. So that's my two cents. Yes, Ronnie, this is like something that comes out of my mouth all the time. I'm saying to a friend somewhere around the planet, I wish we had teleportation. <laughs> And then when I was hearing you highlight how, you know, pollution would be decreased, it brought me back to, again, some memories of watching Star Trek Next Generation with my mom. She was a big fan and it was always on. Um, but when they would teleport, they had the ability to then remove foreign bugs or, you know, uh, any kind of um, organisms that did not belong. And I started thinking, if that was the type of teleportation that we created and understood, would we be able to re... Uh, the word that comes to mind is trans transmogrify, but I don't know if that's the word I want. I have no clue. Anyway, if like the polluted air into something that's clean and new. Wouldn't that be crazy? But then I started remembering that they have started studying and trying to develop teleportation, but they're doing it in a way that is not typical of our sci-fi stories or what we're familiar with thinking from books and movies and TV and so on. I don't know the ins and outs, but it's something to do with quantum entanglement and transfer of data and... I have no clue. <laughs> I'd have to do much research and I haven't done it, but just the idea of teleportation down the line would be pretty cool. I'd love to be able to travel to all of these places on my long bucket list or to visit friends around the world or meet new people that I've met through the internet, you know? It would be wild. So exciting. Anyway, yes, yes, that's, that's near the top of my list. I would love to see that. This is from 2013 Isaac Asimov Memorial Debate, The Existence of Nothing. The universe, we have come to learn with hard-earned science research, the universe doesn't make anything in ones, okay? We imagined that Earth was sort of unique among objects, and we found it was just one of a bunch of planets in orbit around a star that was pretty special to us, and then we learned it's just one of 100 billion stars in our galaxy, well, the galaxy was special up until 1920. So maybe... 
the universe doesn't even come in ones. And if that's the case, the, the multiverse picks this up, and then you have multiple universes. But that leaves me to ask the question, which we will not answer today, if nothing ever comes in ones, not even a universe, then would that possibly mean that the multiverse doesn't even come in ones? Thanks, Z. You know what I found funny about myself in listening to that clip? I, I listened to it multiple times, and I kept trying to figure out the explanation for why there would be two multiverses. But it was because I was not listening, but I was trying to look for that one detail that I wanted information on. I was trying to make meaning of it, and I've talked about this in other episodes. When I finally listened to it and stopped looking for something and just listened, then I realized that he was saying that nothing came in ones, but he never defined the exact number of what things do come in, because he was talking about how we learned that we're, there are more planets than one around our star, and that there are more galaxies, and on and on. Then, then I could follow his train of thought. But that's a whole topic altogether. Uh, thanks for this clip, Z. It, uh, it helped me to better understand where this idea comes from. I absolutely love this idea of electricity and fire kind of being our 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 ceiling at the moment. It seems like we still kind of in some way or another are relying on these feats. But at the same time, like you said, with 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 gravity, even dark matter, these things that we only kind of know just kind of just through mathematical equations and whatnot, but what is going to be that magical break in human history to get to that next leap? Much as we are doing with computers, as you have stated with many people on your station, and the feats we have um, bound and excelled across, we still don't have, you know, ter a terabyte of RAM available yet. But one day we will, and I'll be happy to see that when it arrives nice to hear from you, Duan. You know, that is the beauty, isn't it, of wonder and exploration and discovery. That's, I was going to say, the sky is the limit, but that's kind of limiting, isn't it? There are so many different directions and ways that we could make that next big breakthrough. I think that's kind of what makes it exciting, is not knowing, and yet the continual search for more, to find out what it is, to understand and create, reshape. I don't know. I kind of wonder if some of these big breakthroughs are easier to see on the other side, like after we've passed them, looking back. Because sometimes they happen so gradually, we don't even realize we're making them. But after the fact, down the line, we don't remember the incremental steps. We just remember the major breakthrough. So your final statement there about a terabyte of RAM made me pause because I thought that it did exist. But I'm guessing that you mean in the everyday machine we have in all of our homes? Yeah, right now it's a bit too expensive. But I think that's kind of true of like even Tesla's, right? At some point, they'll become more economical as well. 
See, maybe that was one of those breakthroughs. It was so gradual we didn't even realize it was happening, but now we have electric cars and we don't even think twice about it. I mean, they're still sort of novel, but you know what I mean. Anyway, with all the gloom and doom these days, I like to think that there are some brighter horizons on our, our brighter, brighter future on our horizons. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks for your call, Dewan. Hey, Seeking Plum, it's Alan with Sentient Future. So I find it interesting that we are really looking for the next frontier, as it were, or the next major breakthrough. But to your point, sometimes it happens rather gradually and we can't fully appreciate its impact until we look back on it decades, maybe centuries later. So here's a thought. I mean, there are many different technologies being developed right now and different discoveries being made. Is it possible that we've already made our breakthrough and it just hasn't been popularized yet? Or we haven't fully understood its impact? The internet comes to mind, quantum mechanics come to mind, genetic engineering comes to mind, cybernetics come to mind, renewable energies come to mind, like nuclear fusion, for which there has been promising progress recently. Does this exponential growth in our learning, coupled with the number of people that are now educated enough to look into these technologies, make it so that we're about to see several breakthroughs simultaneously? I would argue that we are not ready for this rate of change.